0: In this episode of Your Double Podcast, we are speaking to Ginger Gentile. She is a well-known documentary director and her third documentary, Erasing Family, exposes the trauma that children face after divorce when a loving parent is erased from their lives. She crowdfunded nearly half a million dollars and worked with a huge network of parents to make this documentary. It is currently streaming on YouTube, Amazon, and Vimeo for free. I have included the links for this particular show in our show notes and I invite everyone listening to please watch it. It's one of the most eye-opening documentary on the central topic of this particular podcast, Parental Alienation and Abduction. This episode is also extra special as the person that is hosting the episode is Thomas Savikas, a left-behind parent from Lithuania. If you guys would like to know more about what happened with Thomas and his Japanese ex-wife, please check out our previous episode with him. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. You can be just like me, you're a double, all you have to do is ask to see your family, you have so much to say.
1: Uh, I happen to be in uh, a situation where my uh, where my daughter was abducted uh, five years ago uh, in Japan by by her Japanese mother, and I haven't uh, heard or, or seen her since. So this this documentary you made it's uh, very you know very touchy for me, and. Um, If we can, if we can uh, start going, Uh, the first question would be, uh, as for the documentary part, it's um, what kind of steps or advice can be given to children, especially to children or parents to start to speak out about this tragedy of separation? And uh, is it, Is it correct to to assume that not speaking out is what perpetrates the problem?
2: So thank you so much, Thomas, for having me on uh, your podcast to talk about the Erasing Family documentary, which is streaming now across all platforms. And I also want to invite people to get more information at our website, erasingfamily.org. We have a ton of resources, including a Bill of Rights for Children of Divorce. We also have the only free hotline in the U.S. to help parents and kids deal with the problem of being separated after divorce or separation, and a ton of resources, including a ton of videos, over 20 hours of content I made as Facebook Lives, helping parents reunite, and the Film Erasing Family, it's 90 minutes long, it takes place in the U.S., but it can really help people all over the world to understand this problem. And as the second film I made in this topic. I also made another film called Erasing Dad or Barando Papa that came out in Argentina in 2014. <clears throat> so your question on why it's important to speak out, I want to particularly invite the parents and professionals who are listening to this podcast uh, to watch the Erasing Family documentary. And if it moves them, and some people can't finish the film, but if it moves them to share the film and to set up screenings. And I think one, one thing that parents who are suffering through parental alienation or abduction do is they talk a lot about their own case and they try desperately to reach their own children. The problem is their children don't want to be reached by them. If they want to be reached, there wouldn't be a problem. They'd get together, right? So the best thing parents can do in this situation is to reach other children other teenagers, other young adults. So parents often say, how can I get my kid to watch a racing family? And I say, how can you get 10 teenagers to watch a racing family? How can you bring this to law schools, to universities, to high schools? Because if we look at the statistics, if you show this film to 100 high school students, probably about 20 are suffering from this problem. And the film is designed to give them an aha moment to reconnect with their parents. We're actually conducting research right now that proves that the erasing family film helps reunite kids. It gives them that push that they need. Now, this push cannot come from their erased parent, ironically. So the more the film is shared with teenagers and young adults and even adults, because a lot of adults, they might be alienated from their own parents, right? Um. So the more people who watch the film, the more people will be reunited. And if every parent out there who's erased shares the film with 100 young people, eventually the child will see the film. So I would tell parents, focus less on your own child and more on other children and not even targeting children who are erased or abducted or suffering from parental alienation. If you send it to teens, the ones who need it will find it and they will share it as well. So I think that's the most powerful way to start making a dent is to stop focusing on your own child and start focusing on all the other children who are out there. And this has many benefits. First of all, you'll feel better about yourself because you are helping other people. And when we help selflessly and give selflessly, this creates a lot of positive karma for us, right? Uh, it also gets us out of our own rut of woe is me, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. That I am suffering like nobody else is very damaging psychologically. We all suffer. That's our condition as human beings, right? So the more that we give back, the more positive energy we do. And the more we get out of our comfort zone and help others, we are showing our children to get out of their comfort zone and to contact us. Because a lot of parents say, I want my child to contact me. And then I say, Well, have you set up a screening of a racing family? And they say, Oh, that I'm too scared. It's it makes me uncomfortable. I say, Well, you want your child to do something that makes them very uncomfortable. You want them to talk to somebody that they've been told is evil and bad. For many years, they have no information about you, right? But you, the adult, the parent who has to lead, you don't want to give the film to the local high school. You don't want to. Have it shown in the local library. You don't want to send an email to five people, but you want your child to give up everything they know, their entire support system to reunite with you. That's not how the world works. Any time in life, right? Because I know people that they want to raise money. And I say, well, have you donated money? No, I haven't. Well, you can't raise money if you haven't donated. You can't sell if you haven't bought. You can't reunite. If you are not putting in 10 times as much work as you want your child to put in, because as the parent, that is your job and your role and showing a film. The reason why I made a film and didn't read a book is um, it's easy to get people to watch a film. It's hard for them to read a book if they're not really involved in this topic, go to a conference, right? But we all watch movies. And that's why when you present the Erasing Family film to your friends, And teens, it should just be, hey, I watched this film. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Boom. Nothing about it's about parental alienation. This affects me. It's horrible. All these stats. The same way you would share Tiger King or any other documentary. Make it light. The more sad and important you make it, the more you push people away. And the more you say, my case is unique, you also push people away because the people say, well, I'm so glad I'm not you with your unique case. And the more you talk about how everybody is affected by this and how common it is and how your story is common, the more people are apt to listen, because if they think it's only one person that can suffer this, they think you're unlucky. When people see patterns, then this becomes a public health crisis. And that's what we need to make this, this, um, this problem. And this is what we talk about in the racing feeling documentary. We need to talk about this the same way we talk about smoking, right? Smoking used to be very socially acceptable. I used to smoke until I was 26 years old. And then over time, it became harder to smoke. There were campaigns about smoking, it became less cool. The media stopped showing characters in films smoking. You could no longer smoke in restaurants. And that's what we need to do with parental alienation. Too often we focus on my ex is doing this, the law is doing this, as opposed to saying there's a public health crisis and we need to start with the lowest hanging, easiest actions, which is what we did with smoking. There's still some people who smoke and who will always smoke, just like there will always be people who are alienated, but we can start solving the less extreme cases first and look at a total reduction. So in the Erasing Family documentary, We reveal the research of the professor, Jennifer Harmon, who, uh, through polling, extrapolates that 22 million parents in the U.S. are alienated from their kids. So we need to focus on, within five years, getting that down to 15 million. That would be a huge win. And too often people say, well, we need to get it down to zero. That's not how you solve a public health crisis. You get it down bit by bit through education, through outreach, through changing laws. It has to be a multifaceted approach. There isn't. It's not. You change the law and then everything is cured. You educate the judges. Everything is cured. You have a show of film. Everything is cured. It's bit by bit, and we need to have a long-term marathon approach. Which is also why I tell parents when they're trying to solve this, they often say, "What's the one magic thing I can tell my kids?" I say. There isn't. You're in a marathon, not a sprint. Right. I'm not sure that answers your question.
1: Oh, it, it, it does. Thank you very much. One thing, what, what, one thing, uh, what, what, uh, one thing which uh, was very interesting to me that you decided to make uh, this documentary completely free. Uh, there's uh, more than few documentaries on on the subject, but uh, they all happen to be. Uh, somewhat paid, and uh, what what pushed you to to make this absolutely free? Is is that uh, that that you wanted people to actually uh, see it, like the massive exposure? What 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 was the main thing to make it available so, to everyone?
2: In full disclosure, you had to pay to watch it for the first six months it was released.
1: Oh, I see. I see. It's free.
2: So so like a lot of films, you start off. I mean. This is a bigger conversation. I'm not sure how much it deals with this podcast about monetizing film. A Racing Family, we were very lucky that we got almost half a million dollars in donations to make the film. So it was never a for-profit venture or trying to make money. We were trying to make money in the beginning and cover costs, really. Um, so it was available first for a $10 rental, then a $2 rental or purchase, and um then it became free later on, which I think is a normal way for films to show. Um, I would say if I had to do it all over again, I would make it free directly because it's just very hard to make money because people don't want to pay for content. The irony is people pay for subscriptions to Netflix, Hulu, and all these right. services. Uh, but if you say, pay $2 for a film, people say, oh, I don't want to pay that. That's so much money. Um, so it's very hard as a filmmaker so my big concern is if you don't get a film that Netflix pays you to make, and Netflix is very clear they don't want to make any more social issue documentaries. They want to move into entertainment or docu entertainment, right? Um, that people are hungry for documentaries, but it's very hard to get them made unless you either have a millionaire or billionaire backer or Netflix backing you, um, because a documentary well done is about a million dollars and there's no way you can monetize it to make your a million dollars back. It's just impossible. So, uh, so I do fear for the future of documentary and people often say, uh, do you want to make a follow-up film? And I always say, do you have one to $2 million? Because I'm not fundraising again for this. And if there's someone out there who wants me to make another film, um, I would be glad to do so, but we need big money. And this movement in general needs big money. People are often, you know, I need a $500 to do this. I need, and like, we need millions of dollars behind this because that's the only way things change. And I'm not scared to say that's what's needed to make change is big money. Um, and we need to start courting that money and we need to court big money by making our message palatable to people. Right. And that means if you are in the movement and you want to go to the media, you need to be press trained. You need to listen to feedback when, you, when people give your message. You need to understand what the media looks for and give, them, and give the media what, what it wants. Too often parents say, it's so unfair, the media won't cover my story. I'm like, yeah, because you come off like a crazy nut job who doesn't know how to write a press release. No, nobody in the media wants to deal with that. And They say, well, of course not, because I'm being traumatized. So what? So what? Everyone's being traumatized.
1: Everybody was traumatized, correct.
2: (laughs) You know, but the reason why some stories get more press is because they are more palatable. And, you know, I often give in the United States, uh, you know, the the civil rights movement started in the 1950s with African-Americans protesting for their rights. What people don't know is that movement that started in the 1950s was planned in the 1930s, and, as, and and as we all know, it's still ongoing, but they trained the lawyers who would argue in front of the Supreme Court in the 1930s. So they picked people, put them through law school, trained them with smaller cases to eventually argue before the Supreme Court 20 years later. You need to have a long game in this, and people too often, they want stuff solved in a few months. Um, I just recently had a dad contact me. and He was like, I submitted a case to the Supreme Court and it was denied. I was like, well, of course it was denied because when you submit to the Supreme Court, uh, you first have to bring a case to the lower court and then you appeal it. You can't just submit stuff to the Supreme Court. Um, and then I was like, well, you need press training. He's like, well, I don't want to pay for press training. OK, that was a waste of time. Everybody's time. And, and then people often say, well, look at all the time I did. I, I brought up all these laws. I'm doing all this stuff. Is it working? If it's not working, change. Don't keep doing the same thing. I know so many people said for 20 years, we brought the same law up to get up to the legislature, and every year they voted down. Stop bringing up that law.
1: Change change of approach, correct. Yeah. Correct. Well, uh, the reason, uh, thank you very much for... Uh, such elaborate answer uh the reason i ask uh, about uh, this being free because uh, in japan there's a couple of documentaries were made but uh, they were not free in the beginning and uh, a few years later they're not free and when i meet people and i talk about this exposure they exactly said what you said you know oh it costs money it costs a couple of dollars i don't have it but of course, we will have uh, all the dollars needed uh, for any other um, subscriptions like like Netflix. And this is what hindrance uh, the... But there's the a conflict. simple way to
2: solve that. If you're a parent who wants people to see the film, talk to the filmmaker and say, can I buy 100 subscriptions to your film? And then you send the password to people if it means that much. Or talk to the filmmaker and see if you can put on certain screenings or hosted and, and, you know, have a one day screening and ask for donations because also for the filmmakers, um, a lot of them who don't, and the business has changed a lot. They might be out of pocket hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're desperate to make this money back or pay back investors. So I understand why the filmmakers are doing that. So if you think that film could help people, I would talk to the filmmaker and say, how can I get to, how can I get this into the hands? Can you sell me, Fifty doings at a discount, so that's what I would suggest to do in those cases.
1: That's that's um, a very that's a very good idea.
2: They also might have sold it to a distributor, and the distributor has chosen this route, and they have no control over it.
1: That's that's a very good idea. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned for the parents uh, to to have a different approach. Um, how how should uh, a parent go about? approaching the media how 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 that can be done so they would be interested in it or uh, maybe they can approach uh, someone like you uh, to to share their story
2: they can approach somebody by like me in two ways so they can go to my website my personal website ginger backslash consulting I'm also the most Googleable person in the world. So if you forget this, Google my name and I'll come up and you can find me very easily. And what I do is I work with parents one-on-one to train them to talk with the media. I do charge for this uh, because I did a racing family for free with no salary. And I have so many free resources out there and I do free Facebook lives. So to work one-on-one Um, or to see if a media project is viable or help people with their own projects, I work as a consultant. Um, If people want to make a film, I would need to be hired as a director and they would need to have funds for that film or short film. It doesn't have to be a feature length film, but um, I am not in a position to work for free or to do another fundraise. Now, if people want to go to the media, what they should do first is they should be in a group, in an organization. That organization should have a clear list of demands that they want, whether that's legislative, um, procedural change, educational, whatever it is. And then that organization needs to pick who would be the best spokesperson. So every parent says, I want to tell my story. And I always say, "I, ask three, I ask, first of all, when you tell your story, three things can happen. <clears throat> the most common is nothing happens. So you go in the media, you tell your story. It's the same as the day before. The second thing is your situation gets worse. So now you're maybe held in contempt of court because you spoke out. Uh, Maybe your ex now gets more vicious and tries to punish you. Uh, Maybe your story is misunderstood by the media. I was talking to a young woman who lost custody of her kids and she, she didn't want to lose custody of her kids. How does the media report her? Um, moms say there's no shame in not having custody. And I was suffocated by my own children. And now I'm living my best life without my kids. And this actually cost her jobs. Because the media twisted her words into moms, uh, moms give up custody. You know, don't blame me because I don't want to be a mom. You have to be very careful. The third thing is it can help your case, but 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 the media is not a magic solution. Now the reason why the media doesn't like to cover this topic is um, Tom. Have you ever been at a dinner party where a couple begins to fight?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, everyone of us been in one of those.
2: And what's your, what's your instinct? Is it to stay or to leave?
1: Well, ideally, leave
2: ideally leave. So you go to the media and say, I have a problem with my ex. And they go, oh, I don't want to cover this because I don't know who's telling the truth. Um, Especially if you say my ex is a narcissist, people say, oh, well, you must be the narcissist. That's how people react. So you cannot tell a story about an individual case. You need to tell a story about a pattern. That's what the media is attracted to, numbers. And to get those numbers, that means your organization might have to do polling and research. That's, first of all, that's scientifically accurate. because too many people do Facebook polls um, that can count. You need to get an academic at a university to do them. This costs money, number one. Or to do some sort of research, right? With, with the courts. Uh, but you need to show a pattern. So saying, I had my kids abducted to Japan. Maybe you get a story. Now, if you can say, Hundreds of children, which I know is true, true. Hundreds or thousands of children are abducted in Japan. Now that's a story.
1: That, that's a it's, great that's a great approach uh, to to bring to bring numbers instead of uh, your own personal case. Because I, I experienced that actually myself, where where people said, "Well, so what? You're you're not first. You're certainly not the last." And uh, until until the pattern is not uh, brought to light. Uh, there will be just another number,
2: right? So, so I think that's that's this is a very good point for people. And then the people who do talk to the press, they have to be trained, and they also have to be sympathetic. So, when I made the Erasing Family documentary, I talked to hundreds of families. And now, those hundreds of families, I had to one find people who are willing to be on camera, two who had a good story, three who are telling the truth about their story. People lie a lot. Or
0: elaborate
2: that their story was true. So I'm very good at sussing out very quickly if someone's lying to me or not. But people all the time say, you know, um, the custody evaluator asked me for a bribe. And I say, do you have proof? No. Okay, well, we can't, I can't put that in the film. And no journalist will run that. as a respectable journalist. So you need to have an email or recording to back this up. So unfortunately, if someone did something like that and there's no proof, it's the same as non-existent. Then, okay, so we have willing to be on camera, have a good story. The story is true and they have proof to that it's true. Now there's another thing that's the most important one. They are good on camera. They are emotional in the right amount. They are likable. So a lot of parents talk to me and I'm like, I don't want to spend five minutes talking to you. The media is not going to want to spend 10 minutes talking to you. And people don't want to watch a movie about you because you are an annoying person. Naturally, nothing wrong with that. Um, But if you look at a racing family, Ashton and Dizzy and everyone loves them. They're determined to do better and to improve themselves and take responsibility. But both of them open up and cry on camera, but they're not crying the whole time. Right. So they're emotionally vulnerable. You can read their emotions on their face. They hug each other. they get excited um when people you know uh, you know when they get good news, they embrace, they hug, they cry, they laugh. and sometimes people on camera they can be stiff and th- this this can be trained, but there's nothing wrong with this. but you want someone who is likable and people can relate to and if someone is too distraught, that's not relatable, and it's not appealing to people on camera. So you really need a balance of someone who is who can be emotionally read, but who is an unemotional wreck. But if you're too stiff, then it also comes off as weird as well.
1: Great, great tips. That that will be something we'll probably use in the future, in the very near future um may i ask you uh, what what happened to, to the characters uh, of the documentary how how are they faring now did did uh, did they improve did something happen and they broke down again uh, how, how what what's happening now
2: that's a great question so the biggest change that i'll focus on is the main uh family in the film uh dizzy and ashlyn so for people who haven't watched the film um, ashlyn was adopted by her stepdad. Her father was erased from her life, but Ashlyn also has a sister, an older sister. And when Ashlyn is about 16, her boyfriend, and this is why it's so important that everybody talks about this, her boyfriend said, I think you should talk to your dad. You have nothing to lose. And Ashlyn calls up her dad and begins a relationship with him over the telephone. Her mother, who she lives with, and her stepdad get very upset and say, if you keep talking to your dad, you're out of this house. So Ashlyn becomes homeless, but her father can't rescue her because he's no longer the legal father because his stepfather adopted her. And when Ashlyn turns 18, she reunites for real with her dad. Um, her sister wants nothing to do with her dad. And the film ends with Ashlyn saying, I will not talk to my sister because she won't accept my dad. And the sister says, I don't accept Ashlyn and I don't accept it. So there, So now the whole family is divided. What I can say is that two years later, everybody's talking to each other and they say that the film was a big help, but it took two years. So these things take time.
1: And, and it took two years uh, from the making of the film uh, since, since you interviewed them?
2: From the end of the film. So the film becomes released. So, uh, so in the film, they all say they don't want to talk to each other. And I filmed that in, let's say, 2017, and they reunited in 2021. So, and that was two years after they saw the film. So they all saw the film, and I think it's very powerful to see your own story on the screen because it makes you reflect in a different way. Not all of us will be able to see our own story on the screen, but we can see people like ourselves, which is the power of the documentary racing family. And when I made it, I made it very specific. I said, this isn't a training video for lawyers or for psychologists, so they can get a lot out of it. It's not even a film for parents who are erased because they know how bad it is. This is a film for young adults. This is a film for the kids to see and to have that that moment, that realization that this is me on the screen. Um, Which is why I also picked different types of families who look different, who talk in different ways. From different socioeconomic classes. Uh, it was also very important to me to pick young people who are appealing on camera, so
1: people can relate. Okay. And uh, what are uh, what are the what are the ways for people uh, to go about this uh, divorce business without intervene uh, without intervention of the courts? What 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 is uh, how can I say what is the the, the golden way? to go about it because a lot of, uh, even, even characters in the documentary, they, uh, a lady mentioned, uh, she spent, uh, upwards to a million dollars in, in trying to reunite, uh, with her son and that event, uh, sadly that uh, did not work out. Did, did she, did she happen to, to reunite uh, with the kid in England in the end? No. Um, no
2: so what i would say is very important I, I so i also do consulting with parents and i consult with them like i said about the media but i also consult or coach on how they can reunite without the courts because i think one of the problems is when you're in this and i want to focus on the parents who are in this because the ways to prevent this it's more from the court system by by getting rid of this adversarial trial system that we have which serves nobody except the lawyers um When you find yourself in this situation, and I was actually uh, coaching a dad who's been alienated from his four daughters for a few years, and I was I was talking to one of my coaching clients yesterday, and I started coaching uh, because some parents would just reach out to me, and as someone who's interviewed at this point, maybe like a thousand families who've gone through alienation, and also talked to a lot of kids who have reunited, so I can see the patterns on what makes. Kids reunite with their parents and what makes them not want to reunite. And he was talking about he was going to go back to court to ask for reunification therapy. Okay, good. And they got a three hour trial slot. He goes, But three hours isn't enough. I have so many exhibits against my ex wife. Um, We really need a day. So my lawyer is going to ask for a later trial date, but we get a whole day to present all of the exhibits and information we have because I really wanna tell my story and get closure. So what I told him hearing this is one, telling your story in court is is expensive, counterproductive, and not healthy. And so it's looking for closure or justice. You should look for a way to tell your story and to get emotional closure through therapy, through journaling, through writing a book, through making videos that maybe nobody sees. You know, just because you tell your story, uh, you can tell your story in a private journal that nobody ever sees. You can make videos for your kids and put them on a blog. You can, um, write letters to your kids that you give or don't give. There's a lot of things you can do.
1: Just basically speak out. So don't, don't hold it in yourself so you can move forward.
2: But you don't have to speak out publicly if you're not ready. You can also speak out to yourself. You can burn the letters afterwards. Right. Um, This takes time. This isn't that easy, but this is a process you have to do on your own. Now, when you go to court, you should go to court to get the minimum the court can give you as quickly as possible. So he told me he wanted to prove that his ex-wife had borderline personality disorder. Ask for um, a what's it called an evaluation. They'd probably evaluate him. I said, wouldn't be easier just to show that she denied you visitation she didn't take the kids to therapy before and you want the therapy to resume with the minimum possible. He really wants the court to see how he suffered. And this is the recipe to not win in court.
1: And, and, and courts don't have time to listen to people suffering. They just, it's just impossible to go through all the documents.
2: Said, they have too many cases and then, they'll, and then they'll say, okay, let's get an evaluation, evaluation, evaluation. These evaluators are often biased. So now you're throwing dice. Do I get an evaluator who likes moms or dads? Do I get an evaluator who likes moms who work at home or moms who stay at home? Do I get an evaluator who hates a certain ethnic group? I mean, there's so many, it's so biased and there's no science behind this. So, um, because people often ask, how do I prove parental alienation? And I say, don't, don't try prove lack of contact, that the other parent was not abiding by the custody order. Not that the kid, and that, and that in a lot of states, at least in the U.S., um, you can lose custody if you don't follow the order. That's what you want to prove, not the motivation and person, because then it becomes this huge trial. It's very emotional. Um, And unfortunately, the parents who I see who are successful in court they the ones who win, and they're the very small minority, I would say five percent. they win because they are cold when you're hot and emotional, you lose, and the people who often win often they tell me they win on technicalities, they win because they found some weird, obscure law. This is at least in the u s where there's so they might say, "I found a law from the eighteen hundreds or my ex violated this small provision of the order. They don't win because the judge thinks their ex is bad. And because they have all this evidence that they get shown. No, no, no. You want to be, get in and out of court as quickly as possible with as least amount of evidence as possible and only proving the bare minimum necessary to get a change in status.
1: And and, and this is what people uh, who are... Or emotional are very difficult uh, to do because
2: right so you, first thing you need to do is to stop being emotional which is very difficult um i have some techniques for that that i walk through with my clients and each person is different sometimes people if they come from a religious background they need they need to deal with this in a religious way so i'm working with one mother who's catholic and i'm working with her to do penance which is a very catholic tradition I wouldn't recommend that to somebody who's Jewish or Muslim or who's atheist. So it has to be something that speaks to you. And that process needs to be individualized. But you can't go to court for therapy. You go to your therapist for therapy. Or you go through your religious experience for cleansing or whatever. But that's not what the court is there for. And so many parents, they want somebody to solve this problem for them. So this is something I often see. They want the judge to solve it. They want the lawyer to solve it. They want the psychologist to solve. Um, Or they call me and they say, I want to tell you my story so you can see how wronged I've been. And I say, so what? What am I like some magical parental alienation fairy? Oh, I deem you suffering. Boom, you get your kids back. Only two people can reunite you with your kids. You and your kid. That's it. Everybody else can maybe help, but at the end of the day, you and your kid reunite. And hopefully you'll find people who can help. But sometimes these helpers can often hurt. And the other thing I advise parents too, and often they cannot see this because they are too close. They focus on the thousand doors that are closed instead of the one door that is open. So often parents will say, well, my ex won't let me see the kids. Okay. Anyone else in your family who likes you? Oh, yeah. Uh, My ex's mother loves me. Okay. When's the last time you talked to her? Oh, I haven't talked to her in three years. Can you talk to her? Oh, it's so, uh, I don't want to. So build the relationship with the one person who can Mm -hmm. get you in. Sometimes it's very hard to find and we really have to rack our brains, but I would say put you know, if there's the aunt, aunt or the uncle or the cousin who, like, maybe didn't hate you, just talk to that person as opposed to all the people who hate you and who are campaigning against you. And um, also, and this, this is advice specific to the U.S., because um, the law is different in every country. In the United States, it's very clear that unless you have a restraining order, you have every right to be involved in your child's education. I ask so many parents, well, how often are you at the school? Oh, I never go to the school. Why not? Oh, well, I feel embarrassed to go. And that's because when they go, they want to go and say, I have a problem. I'm being alienated. My ex is saying this and blah, blah. I need help with the problem. The school says, we have a ton of problems, especially in the U.S. We have a ton of problems. You're in problem number 500 now. And a minor one, because we have kids doing drugs, uh, kids who want to kill themselves. Your divorce, minor problem. What if you went to the school saying, How can I help you? What does the school need? Money? Volunteer? I'm in. Now all of a sudden you're an asset to the school. And you're not doing this to get anything out of it. You're not doing this to try to see your kids. You're just there building goodwill in the school. And when you volunteer, you volunteer in stuff where your kids really don't want to see you, where you're not interacting with your kids, right? So now, but now everybody in the school sees you as a good parent. The kids are going to hear that you're a good parent eventually. This is the most effective strategy I've ever seen, but it takes a year or two. And I've seen parents walk into a school where everybody looks at them and says, you're the awful father right you're the abusive father but then after a year of seeing the dad come in with the cupcakes with the cake with the money with the with the volunteering and stuff everyone says oh well he seems kind of okay then you can ask the school to to help you but people come in and they they just people like people like to get on the winning train and the solution train they don't like to get on the victim train. Um, And I I learned this when I started to raise money, when I really needed money to make a racing family, nobody wanted to donate. But after I got one person to give me $200,000, which is a ton of money, everybody wanted to donate. Because people want to donate to the winner. It makes no sense because I really need the money before I got the big donation. But people often, they want to help the person,
1: which is why...
2: Yeah. So that's why it's so important to have therapy because you need to be so emotionally strong. And this is, this is what's hard is as a victim, you have to be your own hero. And this is very cruel because you're being victimized and tortured and you cannot show that to the world, especially if you're a father and a man. And that's because there's a lot of studies that have been done. People that do not like male victims.
1: Right. Uh you mentioned...
2: It's, it's, it's just it's just instinctual. They do not like male victims.
1: Well the society society is a long, long, uh, long, long away from accepting male as a uh, as a victim and and and, and that's not but they that, never
2: will. that's not gonna they never will. anytime soon. <laughs> right, they never will. So um I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of Warren Farrell, he wrote The Boy Crisis.
1: Uh, I've I've heard of him, um, yes.
2: And he says this very clearly. He's like, people do not like male victims, and he's someone who talks about how men are victimized by society all the time. That's what he does. He talks about the boy crisis, you know, how men are, you know, don't have access to things that women have. That's all he does. And he goes, but men, if you want to change this, do not present yourself as a victim. Nobody likes a male victim. That cannot be the narrative. It cannot be men the real victims of society. Men. Oppressed by women, people will not buy it.
1: It's it's it's
2: it always has to be I'm a father who wants to be there for my child. Isn't that great? How can you help me be the best father? Because right now I can't see my kid. Not I'm a victim of the courts because I'm a father. The first one everybody wants to help, the second one nobody wants to help.
1: This is this is very insightful. Very insightful. Mm. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, about the patterns. Uh, ca- can you explain a little bit more? What are the patterns uh, that the kids are willing uh, to reunite? And uh, patterns that shows that they're ready for it. What 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 is what is the spot where where they will start?
2: So for kids and by kids, I mean, over the age of 18, mainly, um, what I see are a few patterns that, that happen in the majority of cases. Uh, the first one is a crisis. So usually, so if a parent is an alienator, what they tell their kids is my love is conditional and it's all or nothing. Now, what people don't realize, people who have personality disorders, who alienate, they might be very unstable. They might be violent. They also might be a lot of fun. So a narcissist is a lot of fun to be around if you're on their good side. And so the alienated parents, what they don't realize, the erased parents, is they come crying to their kids. Oh, I can't see you. I miss you. And every time they show up, there's a fight. And then the alienator, the narcissist, says, let's go for ice cream. Who is the kid going to want to be with more? The alienator. At some point, though, this might crumble. And the alienator might say, you're out of my circle of love, my circle of trust. You're out. You're homeless. So a lot of times the kids become homeless, literally kicked out of the house with nothing. And then at that point, they go, okay, I'm homeless. I have no money. I'm 16. I'm 18. I'm 19. Who can I call? They call the parent who's been erased. So that's one. The other is they get involved in a romantic relationship. And their boyfriend or girlfriend says, I think it's weird that you don't talk to your mom or your dad. And I don't want to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't talk to their mom or their dad. So for us to continue, you need to fix this. Or at the very least, I think you should talk to them. This is also very common. Um, And then the third one is that I see a lot is chance. You're in the supermarket, you bump into your kid. You're at a party, you bump into a kid, your kid. You're at a funeral and somebody says, your dad really wants to see you. This this happened to somebody who was alienated from his dad for, I think, 40 years. And he goes, I was at a funeral and my aunt shows up and he goes, you know, your dad really wants to talk to you. And he goes, I had no idea. So for 40 years, he had no idea his dad wanted to talk to him. And then after that, he goes, oh, called him my dad and we reunited. It took 40 years because of that chance encounter. So these are things that are out. And this is what's important for parents to realize all of this is outside of your control, because this involves being kicked out of the house number one, number two, a romantic relationship which hopefully will happen to everybody at some point, um, a chance encounter. Now, what you can do is be prepared for when any of these three things happen. because so many parents, they're not creating a wonderful, happy life that the moment their kid comes back, which they will have no idea when this happens, there's no way to control this. I will get into how you can speed it up, though. But what so many parents do is when their kid comes back, they're an emotional wreck. They have dinner, and the kid says, well, I don't want to be with this parent. The reunification fails. And this is what people don't talk about. They're so fixated on getting that meeting. They don't think about how you'll build back a relationship that's been severely damaged. How will I be able to give my kid love, support, financial support? Because kids want stuff from parents. This is natural. They don't want to hear your sob story. They don't want to hear what really happened in most cases. Okay. They want love. And if you are unable to give them love because you're damaged, the kid will walk away. So. You can work on yourself and by doing all of these good deeds that I talked about before, by helping others, you are creating this cosmic energy because I am also a firm believer. And this is not, this is going to sound, to some people this might sound crazy. This is backed by um, physics, modern physics. We're all energy. There's no such thing as matter. Everything is connected. Sounds kind of crazy to some people. This is modern physics. This is not, this is scientifically proven. Um, All matter is made of atoms. Atoms are just energy. There's nothing really solid in this world. So you're in constant communication with your child. So people often say, I can't talk to my kid. Yeah, you can talk to your kid right now. You're always talking with your child.
1: Just just by thinking about them.
2: Thinking about them, but just all the actions are interconnected. And all the energy you're putting out comes back eventually. It might take longer than we want, but it's all out there. This is why, I mean, there's so many stories when someone dies, people across the world will feel their presence or see them. Um, Like weird stuff that like doesn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense if you understand physics. And if you're putting that energy out there, that energy eventually has to come back. That is law. That's the way the universe works. Now, that being said, how can we communicate with our children that don't want to communicate with us? So we have a wonderful tool at our disposal. It's called the Internet.
1: Right, write the blog and, or something, something like that for them to, yeah, to find write them a and, blog,
2: yes. video blogs. Um, get the domain name of your child. So if your child is Anna Smith, buy Annasmith.com. And on AnnaSmith.com, put messages of love, photos of you doing fun stuff with Anna, your child, fun, uh, you know, video messages from other family members saying, hi, Anna, we can't wait to see you. Never like, it's been so long, we miss you. Or I want to tell you what really happened, but just like, hey, we're all here. Can't wait to meet you, Anna. Or can't wait to see you again, Anna. Or like, I remember this fun time where we ate ice cream together. Always very light and happy. And also- uh, be very clear on the blog, how often you're going to make these videos, because if you make one every six months in kids mind, that's very little because we're so used to posting. So just say, I'm going to post a video every six months. I'm going to post a video every birthday. So that way it's very clear. Um, kids always Google themselves.
0: Mm.
2: Everyone's always surprised when I say this, I Google myself, uh, like once a week, to check on what's going on about me, you look surprised. I kids am, are always I am
1: surprised. Sex.
2: So that's number one. Number two, uh, your kids are following you on social media. If they're over thirteen, they are following you. Under thirteen, maybe, but over thirteen or fourteen, I will guarantee. Unless they're in some weird religious sect that does not allow social media, they are following you. Now, parents say, "But well, I can't see my kids." Um. For most parents, your kids, just by nature, are think of them as hackers for the NSA. They have fake profiles. They might have ten fake profiles, and this is not because they're alienated kids. All kids have fake profiles. They have a lot of kids. They'll have their social media that they let their parents see because parents say, "Well, I have to see everything you post," right. so they go, okay. And then they have their fake profile. I even heard an app. This is so crazy. Where if on your smartphone, it looks like a calculator. And it was a social media app hidden from parents. So parents would say, give me your phone. And they never went to the calculator yes. app. It
1: did.
2: So, so the kids are following you. Now, what this means is what a lot of parents do is they will say, they'll go on social media and they will post my narcissistic, horrible ex of a person is doing this, this, this. I am so heartbroken. I want to commit suicide. And then they'll say, but it's in a private group. There's nothing private. Get that out of your mind. There's no such thing as a private Facebook group, a hidden Facebook group,
1: nothing. Once you put stuff in the internet, the privacy is gone once and forever. That that should be acknowledged.
2: Yes, but use it to your advantage. Know the lack of pride. So make your social media... Showing how much you love your kid and how much of a wonderful life you want them to be a part of. So, you can, so don't pretend your kid isn't there, but you can always be like, I'm so proud of you. Happy birthday. I can't wait to see you. Or, happy birthday. I'm so proud of you. Right. Um, You know, sending birthday wishes. But, but so often in the Erasing Family documentary, there's a scene. Where, uh, so Dizzy's daughter, the one who didn't want to reunite, she says, I decided not to reunite because he made a Facebook post about my mom. And honestly, what he posted compared to what other parents post was so benign. It wasn't that bad compared to other stuff I've seen, but it was enough to give her an excuse.
1: And that's, that's all we need.
2: All you need an excuse to confirm their bias. So now it's like, my mom said you're an awful person. I follow you on Facebook. I see you're an awful person. And then she sent him a long email saying, I never want to hear from you. You're not my dad. My stepdad's my dad. We just share DNA. That's it. Just DNA. It means nothing to me. Um, so I think it's very important. And, and I think then also you can be very strategic about this. And I would also say to parents, it's important to reach out. Um, But if the child really says, don't contact me, you have to be very careful and then really pull back. Because I know parents who say, I text my kids every day and I never hear from them. And I say, well, stop texting them. You know, Um, And, and, and then I would, and then, so then the other thing that I think parents often reluctant to do is because they want to start off with this beautiful relationship is with older children to say stuff like, um, Hey, um, I know you don't want to hear from me. Can we make a deal? If you give me a yearly update on your birthday or around there, um, and I'll just respond with, I love you and happy birthday. And I, I won't send you any more messages. Well, at least you have something right start with the something as opposed to messaging them every day with no response um because you you don't want a restraining order from your kid and that that can happen a lot so so to be careful with that it's important that they know you want to see them but then you have to be respectful and then reach out just periodically not all the time yeah.
1: so so i see that uh you know, smokers used to be uh, shamed, and that's what brought mm-hmm. the change later. Mm-hmm. but uh, it seems, it seems uh, to me, uh, from speaking with you right now and hearing uh, what, what you speak, is that uh, for the alienator, so to speak, is uh, shaming them is not going to work that well after all. Yes and no. Is um... there is there a particular way. To shame them so they can change? Uh,
2: so, so the way the shame has to work is by the people in their circle not the alienated parent saying that what they're doing is not acceptable. So the alienated parent because whatever you say has no value to them. In fact, if you say I'm very heartbroken that I can't see my kids What that makes the alien do is say, oh, great, it's working, which is why I often tell parents the best thing to do is to not react at all. And just to say, I'm going to do, I'm going to come, you know, this is not a case of of abduction. I'm going to come pick up my kids at 3 p.m. as per court order. Boom. Kids aren't there. That's logged. And repeat, but not then saying like, once again, you took, you didn't let me see the kids because then they get off on that. Um, you know, the more you're like, whatever, willing, I'm willing to walk away from all this. Um, that's the irony the parents are like, whatever. Yeah. You win. You get the kids. Um, the alien will often reach out in a few months saying, I take the kids. I I can't deal with them.
1: I'm I'm tired. It's too much for me.
2: Um, but going back to the shame, the shame has to be from the people in the school saying, "At our school, we don't encourage parents taking the other parent off the email." Uh, friends saying, "That's not healthy. That they don't have contact with their parent. That's the shame that works. Not, um, not the the alienated parent shaming them. That is more. That encourages it. it. Makes it worse."
1: What what about the younger children? How they should go about this? Younger, like let's say, uh, six, seven, anything, anything. Let's say up to the age of of ten. While they, well, no,
2: they're, they're kids. They're kids. A parent told me they once told their kids when they felt they were being alienated, they're like, "You have to fight this." And I was like, "Whoa! No wonder your kids don't want to see you. They're kids." That's an adult position. Especially because now let's imagine a six-year-old who has very little understanding of the world. Six-year-olds believe in Santa Claus, right? You're telling them, they believe in monsters under the bed. (laughs) There's nothing they can do except survive. And if they're in the house with an alienator, somebody who's this, you know, deranged Mm -hmm. and unhealthy, what they need to do is survive. So they need to go along with the program. They cannot do anything else because they're, because I mean, think about it. Mom says, you see dad, I'll get angry and punish you. What is a six year old going to do? Which is what, which is what the alienated parents don't understand. So they say, why is my kid doing this? I'm like, your kid has to survive. And so here's something that I saw at, um, I, I, that was, so I'll give you an example of this, how this can play out. Um, there was a dad who was able to see his kids, but was losing contact and was slowly being alienated because this often happens as a process. Okay. And one of the accusations that the mother said was that your sons don't enjoy spending time with you. So he goes, "Uh aha, you know what I'm going to do? when my sons are with me and they're having fun, I'm going to record a video of them. So I have proof in court that they are having fun. with me. What do you think? How do you think the kids reacted to this?
1: The kids shouldn't be, shouldn't be happy because uh, the, the privacy and they don't want to be shown in, in that kind of light.
2: But also now it's like, They're like, damn, now I'm gonna get in trouble because mom says if I enjoy myself, I'm in trouble. Now there's proof to mom that I'm in trouble. So I told him, stop recording this. I don't even think this is this is evidence in court, by the way. I'm just like, you're just creating this huge mess. And now the kid is so now the kids are like, now I have to never enjoy myself with dad because what if he gets the cell phone out? So respecting that your kids are under an immense pressure and need to show that they don't like you to the other parent. And never forcing the proof, the kids to know that there's proof. And are really like to really be like whenever they bring up anything about a, a custody order or court, as being this is between adults. I'm sorry you were brought into this, but it's not for you to have any information of. But mom said, um, you can say, how does that make you feel? Do you think that's true? Maybe. If they're older, if you think they can handle that, but now it's like this isn't for you to handle. And our and in my house, we don't talk about this because I'm the adult and I'm going to arrange this. But mom said, you're getting a lot of stuff and I'm sorry that you're hearing this. People deal with stress in different ways. In our house, we don't talk about adult manners with kids. When you're 30, we can talk about this if you really want to. So, so the kids know you're not hiding something,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but you know, um, or keeping it very mom saying you don't want to see me. Well, what do you think? Well, you seem to want to see me, right? Yeah, so maybe I do want to see you. Stuff like that is okay. But getting to this proof thing or um or asking kids to do stuff, um the only thing I would ask that I would ever give a kid or something is like, here's my private cell phone number, or email if you ever want to reach me. That's it. Keep it close to your heart. You know, I often tell parents also, have an email like your full name at gmail or something that's super easy if the kid wants to reach you in the future um but that's it i mean a six-year-old i mean like what can a six-year-old do man like no nothing they can't this is this is for adults to deal with
1: and and, and especially when the other uh, parent uh, encourages the child to to act bad but that, that is that is even more so difficult
2: I mean, I would just say, keep a lighthearted attitude in those situations. Um, Again, they're trying to get a reaction. Um, So I remember my mom and, you know, I'm a child of high conflict divorce, but I I didn't suffer parental alienation as we would commonly define it. But I remember I would tell my dad, I hate him. Well, I hate you too. You're an awful daughter. I would tell my mom, I hate you. And she would say, well, of course you hate me. You're a teenager. It's my, it's your job to hate me. That's what teenagers do. They hate their parents. I hated my mom. My mom probably hated her mom. Newsflash. Um, it made it not fun to say, I hate you mom to my mom. Cause she didn't react. She's just like, yeah, you're a teenager. Of course all teenagers hate their parents. And, and- so the more you're like, okay, of course you're you're upset because this is a stressful situation. Let's distract ourselves. The more the kids will fall out of it and just giving them that transition time that they might need. They might need to show during the custody exchange that they don't want to go. They might need to be angry for a little bit and just letting it subside as opposed to fighting it or making it a bigger deal than it is.
0: Right. You know,
2: um, giving them some decompression time. Um, I also write for Forbes women and I just interviewed uh, a mom Uh, and she, she's one of her tips dealing with this is give the kids time to decompress with no activity for the first few hours where if they're upset. They can just be upset and you're just making it like comfortable for them and then go do something. But don't say like, Hey, we're going ice skating, you know, let them go home, get into their pajamas, yell at you if you want and
1: then they'll subside. Give give them them time to uh, to vent it out until they feel comfortable, basically. Uh, I would like to ask uh, this. uh, It's uh, one one of the very important things. What are we so missing in the system? System being uh, the courts, the lawyers, uh, judges, the government, uh, legislative, and so on. Uh, For the children, to voice their concerns and these concerns to be validated and actually addressed because we we hear a lot uh, you know where adults can turn
2: children can voice concerns children should be silent Children can be too easily manipulated they should never be asked questions
1: what what about what about if a child wants to speak uh, from himself if he if he feels one way or another. No.
2: No. This is that's a recipe for disaster. Because then they can say, I don't want to see one parent ever again. So in the US, we have a lot of problems where kids as young as 12 can declare to a judge they don't want to see the other parent ever again, then they never see the parent ever again.
1: Mm.
2: And that's so easy to manipulate that there's now a movement not to ask, not to interview kids in custody cases. What the the way that this is solved is to say. The system should always work for both parents when fit to be in their kids' lives as equally as possible, period. And if one parent isn't fit, there should be a path forward to getting to fitness that is easy to complete. So the safety of the child is always paramount. So if one parent is violent or crazy, they should not be with that child alone. But there should always, at the minimum, be supervised visits. There should always be a path forward that's clear and easy to follow. Like you go to 10 therapy sessions and do a parenting course, you get your kids back. Not, we're going to evaluate and evaluate and evaluate. Um, but right now, a lot of the system is let's find who's the better parent. Mm. And it should be, if both parents are fit, there is no better parent. Yeah. They should have equal to their children or as close to equal as possible, given the circumstances. And if parents live in different countries, it's never going to be 50-50, but it could be 2080, it could be all the breaks with one parent. Um, And the courts should not, you know, like, I would also say that if a parent is abusive, that should be a criminal court matter, not a family court matter. Like, family court, like, I don't think family court should exist. Um, What we need is mediation, collaborative law practices, and, uh, you know, custody shouldn't be decided by a judge who has no training or custody evaluators who have no
1: training and at the moment we have a lot of uh, courts who will actually try to pit parents one to against the other to to be that better one 1% 2% whatever whatever percent so keep this keep this ball rolling
2: right right so that's why the system should not be adversarial
1: um, what about the, what what our listeners uh can help uh, by getting involved in this thing. Is, do you have any any suggestions?
2: Sure. So your listeners, the first thing they can do is go to erasingfamily.org. Look at all the resources we have. We have a Bill of Rights for Kids of divorced, Separated, Never Married Families. Print it out. Go to all your local schools and say, can you hang this up at the guidance counselor office? That's it. No explanation, no, because I'm alienated. Just want to hang it up. And they'll probably say, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. And all of it is that kids have the right to love both parents. It's very simple in the language they can understand. So that's very easy. Number two, they can set up screenings of a racing family. And when they do that, bring in local people, lawyers, psychologists, judges. You can ask me to speak if you want via Zoom, but it's always good to have local people there. And if you want someone to see it and you don't think like the film, ask them to speak at the screening. Especially judges and lawyers, they love to hear themselves talk. So if you're like, I want a lawyer to see this and the lawyer's like, I don't want to see it. they would like, but can we make you the guest speaker? And they'd go, oh, of course. I even tell people, give people you don't like, give them awards. Say, we're going to honor you with an award. You know. So that's one thing people can do. Set up screenings at the local law school and universities that have psychology departments because you kill two birds with one stone. One, these are the professionals of tomorrow. Two, probably 20% to 40% of that classroom is alienated kids. So you also help them reunite. Bring it to high schools, bar associations, libraries, churches, synagogues, mosques, wherever you can bring the film. It's available, Erasing Families, you said it's free on YouTube. So you can just set up a screening. Um, And then the other thing I would advise parents to do is really look at all the free resources we have on our website. And if they want to contact me because they want press training or to get a viewpoint on how they can reunite with their kids without the courts. And a lot of it is changing the way they tell their story, which is what I'm an expert at as a storyteller. Um, I've also worked as the executive director of the National Parents Organization. So I also know about legislative process, media campaigns they can go to my website, gingergenteel.com. Click on the consulting button and get in touch with me. And I think the most important thing is to focus on sharing information with people. And the more you share with other people, the more goodwill you'll bring out to help reunite with your own kid. So sometimes it's good to take the emphasis off of your kid, which isn't giving up. It's reuniting in a different way.
1: It's uh, uh, this is this is a little bit uh, a little bit quite a bit quite a big uh, how can I say a leap for a parent to to remove himself from his uh, own kid situation and
0: uh,
2: we're not we're not giving up. So if you want to, I don't like this analogy of saying war, um, but I'm not saying surrender the war. I'm saying change where you fight the battle. There's so many people, they're battling in court, and this just takes money and energy and stress, right? Go do the battle at the school that might let you in. Go do the battle with other family members who might be sympathetic to you. Go do the battle by raising awareness and helping other kids. Because if every parent helped, just do the math, if every parent helped 10 other kids reunite by sharing the Erasing Family documentary and doing other awareness, eventually their kid's going to be reunited too. Um, there's a famous American movie called Gone with the Wind. A lot of things to criticize about this movie, but there's a great scene where one of the women, she's a Southern woman and she's caring for a Northern soldier. And The woman goes, how can you care for a Northern soldier? And she goes, well, I hope that if my husband is injured in the North, that some kind Northern woman is caring for him. She saw it as very transactional. She said, I give goodwill, someone else will give me goodwill. So I'm not telling for parents to give up at all. I'm saying give up on what doesn't work, and put energy on what does work. And we always know that when you help other people, that energy always comes back. Always. It might take some time, but it always comes back.
1: That's a great advice. Thank you very much. And okay. uh, lastly, uh, a short, a short message for these. Uh, For listeners and uh, the parents who are going uh, through this unfortunate event in life.
2: Life is full of unfortunate events. Finding happiness and peace and acceptance is key to winning. Self-care isn't a luxury. and You should never feel bad about taking care of yourself. Because children will only reunite and fully reunite and have relationships with parents who have let go of anger, resentment, and sadness. They will not reunite with destroyed, emotionally wrecked parents. They might have a meeting, but it won't be a relationship. So by taking care of yourself, by finding happiness, by rebuilding your life, you're actually helping yourself to reunite. And that's not forgetting your kids. That's not abandoning them because you can fight by raising awareness by helping others and then also by acceptance and this is key when you accept the situation and you stop saying this is so unfair this is so unfair this is so unfair and you're cold about it the solution might magically come because now you can see it because people when they're emotional they just They can't see, they can't strategize. But when you say, I accept I'm alienated. I accept I'm not seeing my kids. I accept that. All of a sudden, the answer might appear. But if you're emotional saying this is so unfair, so unfair, so unfair, life isn't fair. You can't see the solution. So by being happy and being calm and peaceful, easier said than done, it's a long road. That's the way you reunite and it's not good enough. The most important thing you can do is be happy. Because also a lot of parents commit suicide over this and your kids need you alive. Dead parent does not help them anybody. So you need to be calm and trust me kids. When they reunite, they're like a lot of parents, a lot of kids will tell me, yeah, I reunited because my dad or my mom, they had so much love to give. They were so happy. They had this great life and I wanted to be a part of that life. No one has ever said, I saw how much my parents suffered. I wanted to be a part of that suffering. So, thank you so much for having me on. Thank
1: you. Thank you for your time today. And I
2: hope all the people and I hope all and pray that all the people listening are reunited soon.
1: Thank you very much, Ginger.
0: Thank you. Thank you both. I appreciate you guys taking the time to be on this particular podcast. I wish you guys all the best. Now, I would like to remind everyone that our goal here is to share knowledge with you guys and show that you're not alone in this. With that said, if you need specific legal advice, please get your own independent advice from a qualified legal practitioner. If you're a minor or if you happen to have difficulties in understanding certain parts within this episode, please approach a responsible adult or someone knowledgeable in these topics and ask them for clarifications. We have done our best to make sure that it doesn't offend anyone, and if you have further questions or comments or feedback regarding Find My Parent or this interview, you can always email me at sk at sk.findmyparent.org. If you're someone who got separated from your own parent and would like to find your parent again, please go to findmyparent.org and fill out your details. With the help of our smart algorithms and matching technology, we hope to help you find your alienated parent again. If you're part of an NGO or even a private company passionate about this topic, please reach out through the contact us page in findmyparent.org. And we hope to work together with you. Alright, folks, that's it for this week. Speak to you next week. Take care, till then. You can be just like me. You're a double. All you have to do is ask to see your family. You have so much to say.